On this episode of Resi Week, Christy is getting out of the residential market, and Husqvarna has come up with a smart mower. All that and more, next on Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 28, recorded Friday, August 12th, 2016. Robots versus Dog Surprise. Resi Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Access Networks. This is Resi Week, the weekly look at the residential market for the AV industry. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Uh, with us this week is Stephen Bronner from Pro Audio Georgia. Good morning. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good afternoon, sir. I'm doing outstanding. It's a beautiful day in Georgia. Georgia's one of those states that you can pretty much have a beautiful day most days. So, Yes, it couple, is. A couple days a year it ices, a couple days a year it, it's crappy, but the rest of the time it's pretty nice. So, Yes, it is. Uh, speaking of nice all the time, Mr. Uh, Uncle Richie from the beautiful uh, Bay Area. How are you, sir? Mellow West Coast greetings. I was uh, thinking on the last time state of control. I was in the other time zone, but I'm back from vacation and... Uh, Back at the office. <laughs> Glad to be here. Exactly. You know what? There's nothing wrong with vacation, but it nope. it, it, it helps us appreciate what we do on a daily basis. So, uh, real quickly, a, a programming note: the reason I'm doing this and Mr. Scott is not uh, is uh, he's going to be off for a couple of weeks as he and uh, and the other half of the uh, Matt Scott team um, have welcome another child. So, congratulations to them as as they welcome baby number two into the Scott household. God help us all. All right, <laughs> sorry. Um, this was this one came out of out of nowhere. At least for me, um, you guys may have heard about this or, or you know saw this coming down the pipe, but I did not. Uh, this is from our buddies over at CE Pro. Christie Digital is halting their residential business and getting rid of a hundred people, <laughs> including George Walter. Uh, this is from our buddy Julie Jacobson. Quote, unquote, in the past few weeks, the company has gone through a major restructuring, laying off 5% of its workforce and apparently backing off from the consumer market, at least for now. Walter was a victim of the restructuring, and Jeff Kloss, the VP who hired him, has also left the company. Uh, Guys, we are one month out of Cedia, uh, so let's talk about this for a second. Uh, Stephen, from your standpoint... What does this do for the market? Is is Christie a big enough player in the market that this is going to have an impact? Nah, I don't even think we'll notice. Okay. Honestly, it's just another booth at Cedia. Um, Christie is huge in the commercial market. I don't see them ever backing out of like Infocom or a, a location like that. But in the residential market, um, I don't think that, that we'll really notice. Um, it, it's It was a great idea. You know, hey, here we have the top commercial projector company they're they're according to the article that 40 percent of all 4k changeovers for theaters went to christie that's a huge market share and i don't um i don't knock them for giving it a shot but our market is really saturated with not only great products but great products at a really good price and so i think that it was a good decision that they back out for now maybe later they come in uh, do more of what digital projection does where they have their, their high-end commercial lines and then they have some entry-level products. I think that was Christie's biggest downfall was is 
they never they never went after that midline market. They only wanted that top the the top of the of the market uh, because they didn't want to come down on their price points at all. So hopefully, uh, if Christie does come back, they'll come back and have products for everyone because that top market. I mean, you've got Barco. Um, you've got the top of the line Sony's. I mean, a lot of people know this. You've got a Sony projector out there. It's one hundred and five thousand dollars. Yeah. You know, people don't understand that there are these high end projectors, and you're competing in a market that's already kind of saturated. And uh, I just don't think there was room for one more player in it. Well, and, and to be real quickly, to be clear, I, I mentioned Cedia. They're not even on the list. They're not listed as a, as an exhibitor uh, of, of Cedia um, as of right now. So um, they weren't even coming to the show, um, but just the market itself. And you make some really good points. Um, Uncle Richie, where are we at then when it comes to projectors in the home theater? Uh, Stephen mentioned Sony and, and some of the higher end. You also have digital projection and, and some others. Where are we at when it comes to projectors and, and home? I think we're seeing just where the market's gone in general. And I've been talking about for years, which is a flattening of the middle market. Um, you know, you've got... There, there's always going to be a need for a, a large screen format. I, I mean, you can only get a physical device so large before you can fit it through a door. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, there is a certain point where, um, you know, a 200-inch screen, unless you can fold it up, roll it, and put it under your arm, and then unroll it on the wall. OLED. Um, at some point. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, but you bring up a good point. The other technologies are emerging where even just five or six years ago, well, let's say eight years ago, um, you know, you were spending about $1,000 an inch on a, on, a, on a plasma display, you know, or an LCD display. I mean, we were, we were pushing out, you know, 103-inch displays at the tune of $105,000 each. Um, great image, weighed, weighed close to 400 pounds. Um, you know, there was a, a whole lot of issues that occurred with trying to get a large-scale direct-view screen. Technology's changing. They're getting lighter. The, the cost, and, and I mean, really, it's the cost factor. Um, you know, when somebody's making a, a price comparison, when they're originally looking and saying, look, the largest we can get you is a 65-inch display. By the way, take a look at this 10-foot screen. It was a lot more compelling, even in a multi-purpose room. Um, fast forward now. And, you know, a, a couple of things. I mean, obviously, um, the dedicated home theater is a great concept. But in most installations, if you actually see what's being put in, they're multi-purpose rooms. Um, they're large rooms, a um, lot of ambient light. Um, and they're catered to um, multiple uses for, for a family's lifestyle as opposed to a dedicated room. I think there's always going to be the call for the dedicated viewing room, just like there's a call for the dedicated listening room but they are becoming fewer and far between um, because of people's lifestyle choices. And, and even just construction, if you look at, at the way that uh, houses are, are being built from a spec standpoint, um, you know, they will plan now the bonus room or a, a media room, quote-unquote, or whatever they wanted to call it at this point. Very rarely are you going to walk in and see someplace with you know, 8 to 12 theater seats and a screen and a fixed bar or something in the back. So it, it's just part of it is the nature of, of the market and where it's going. Um, there will always be a need for it, but um, one of the things, obviously, is that there's going to be a lot of companies competing for the same project now that they weren't necessarily before, um, especially at the high end. Uh, I, I think that um, 
for Christie themselves, um, they've always pushed as a best, uh, best of breed solution. Fantastic projectors. We had put them in for years. In fact, we were using the commercial cinemas in, in our resident, uh, commercial projectors in our residential installations. Um, just because of things like, you know, it gave us the ability for the servicing and, and, and lenses and, and just all of the things that you need, you know, when, when you're kind of pushing the envelope in, in a residential um, system. But, you know, again, like uh, Stephen was saying, I mean, Sony's in there. Um, you, you know, digital projection is still in there. There's several other companies. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the technology, other than laser technology, um, you know, everybody's big push right now is OLED and, and displays. And it, generally speaking, um, you know, there there's a lot less friction in terms of getting them in, and consumers are relating to it a little bit more. They're they're kind of getting that view of that Minority Report screen where mm -hmm. they just throw something up on the wall and immediately their TV is there. And two piece projection doesn't really fit into um, that concept, and so it's 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 a more difficult sell. Um, I think in many situations it's still a superior product, um, but again, it becomes a matter of convenience. Um, and flexibility in terms of the space itself when you're dealing with the large screen format. You make a good point, though, and I'm going to ask a question, and either of you can answer this, but Rich, does it have to be residential? And, and understand what I'm asking here. Um, I know that you guys have talked with you before, and, and, and Stephen and, and our buddy Matt Scott and other residential dealers, where they'll go into a system, and depending on the use case, they'll spec a commercial display. They'll spec a commercial projector because the use is, is so much, right? They're going to use it for 10, 12, 14 hours a day, or maybe even 24 hours, even in a home. Does it yeah. have to be residential? No, you don't have to. You don't. That's the thing. In our industry, a lot of times people have, and I see these articles all the time, build a system and put that system in everywhere. It's so profitable. You can be in and out. And The thing is, is that that's not how you treat a client. You walk into a client's project and you say, hey, you know what, you need this product. Now, I may not have used that product on my last two projects, but this product is perfect for you. When you start trying to fit your clients into your projects instead of your projects into your clients, you've got business backwards. And so, yeah, if I walk into a project, and this has happened before, especially on large outdoor projects, where I've walked in and I've said, oh, this is a residence, but you want 20 speakers outside. No problem. I'm going to use a JBL commercial speaker outside, 70-volt outdoor speaker, and run these, and it's going to work perfect. And they come in, they go to a JBL, or they go to a uh, Crown amplifier, and you're done. So, so yeah, the, the reason why some people are able to design systems better than others is because they don't lock themselves into this is a residential product. This is a commercial product. No, it's not. It's a box with copper and, and other components in it. And you can use it however you want to use it. If, I mean, you got to think, how many times have you walked into a commercial location and seen a projector that was more suited for a small media room in a house than it was for a commercial project? But yet, they only use that room twice a year. They do a PowerPoint presentation. Why not use that projector? You know, I mean, yeah, it's not a, a $60,000 commercial projector, but then on the flip side, they didn't need that. So you fit your you fit your projects to your clients, your systems to your clients, not your clients to your systems, and things work out. And and, and I've preached that for years, and I have always wanted to get to the point where people stop doing cookie cutter systems because yeah, if you're putting up spec homes, 
that's a good idea. You know, hey, I'm in and out here. You've got two rooms, audio, a couple of volume controls, boom, you're done. But is that really a business model that we're shooting for? That's a good point. Uh, I, I, let me, I'm going to put a counterpoint on that for a sec. Um, I think that's a complete overgeneralization. Complete. Um, reason being is that there's the business side of this as well. And, and again, keep in mind that I primarily work with bespoke systems. So pretty much every one of my projects is a one-off. From a business standpoint, you also have to be careful about the partners who you work with. So that's a great thing, and that's a great concept. But the reality is, is with these smaller dealers, um, with these dealers who don't necessarily have the technical ability, with the dealers who are in markets where they're competing in much larger markets, say in you know the metropolitan areas or even in smaller areas where um, they're competing with the big box stores, um, you also have to be careful about where your product mix lies. And so am I against the cookie cut approach? No, I'm not. Reason being is that it's still about making a profit. It's still about being able to present options. And the reality is, is that our current tech market and 100 million iPads sold every two quarters is based upon a cookie cutter approach and then giving the user the ability to pick and choose an app and giving the consumer an option to be able to say, here's what we can support, here's what we can make sure you take care of, and also here's what we can maintain our profitability and, and, and be able to provide you in terms of a system. So I, I don't mean to jump on Stephen about that specifically, but I think that's part of the problem where the CDA channel is going. Um, in that we are trying to become too individualized without necessarily the with not necessarily the, the client base that we had 20 years ago. 20 years ago I would have had a different conversation about it. Um, but the reality is is that if you look at our if you look at our consumer base, um, they're not as interested in custom these days and that's that's the reality. I mean just take a look at all the products that are coming out. So I think that kind of tying back into the commercial and, and, and the residential side of things, you know, that's great that you can say, look, I haven't used this twice or I haven't used this four times. But the question becomes, and how well versed are you in the product? And, and so part of it becomes a matter of, you know, pricking your product line. And so if you're sticking with a residential line, you're sticking with a residential line because of the, um, the rep support, because of the factory support, because of, um, you know, whatever your repair policies are, your accessibility. Some of these, a lot of these dealers, let's face it, can't buy direct. So they're buying through distribution. That's another wrinkle in the whole process. And, and um, even more so with commercial, being a residential dealer trying to get commercial lines or commercial dealer trying to get residential lines. I mean, there are rules. And so I think we have to be careful in making sure that we also lay out for less experienced dealers, hey, look, this is kind of where you want to reach, but at the same point, make sure that when you're making a decision, you're playing within yourself between these two lines. I think Christy kind of found that out <laughs> in that they, they have a lot of great commercial dealer support, but they just weren't getting the traction and what they were expecting from a residential dealer, because a lot of these guys weren't prepared to sell it the way that they thought that their commercial dealers were. And I think that's, personally, I think that's why they pulled out, is I think that they didn't quite understand the dealer base, not the, not, not the, the consumer base. The um, because again, these, these, these Christie's are still going, or the DPs are still going in, those expensive Sony's are going in, but it was a matter of cultivating that dealer base that, that they might have hit the mark. Let me ask you a question real quickly, and and, and again, it's either of you. Um, is it is it based on, or could it be based on the? I guess the best way to ask this is the cost of the system. 
right? Um, you know, because I, I understand Richie's point. I also understand Stephen's point where you don't want to go in with a, a preconceived notion of what, you know, your customer wants. But if somebody has a $10 million house and they're getting ready to drop $250,000, $300,000 in AV, I'll take all, time, all the time in the world to bespoke a system. But if it's a $5,000, $10,000 job, back to Richie's point, you've got to have certain things in place, right, a, a certain mechanisms in place to make yourself more profitable. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. You, you've got to remain profitable. And when I'm talking about uh, not not doing cookie-cutter systems, I'm not talking about um, the business model of the guy who's trying to do, you know, 200 jobs a year and he's just starting out and he doesn't have access to lines. I'm talking about guys like, you know, Richie and myself and, and Scott, Matt Scott and other guys who we're designing systems and we're doing custom installation and that's not our client. Uh, sure, we do $5,000 jobs. That's, we don't turn our nose up at anything. But the, the thing is, is that you, you have a goal. You have a the direction that you go. And I don't know a single top-end integrator that didn't start off doing mostly five, $10,000 jobs. You know, you got to start somewhere. You have to build a client base. But the thing is, is where are you trying to go with that? And what I'm, what I'm referencing is, yeah, you've got, you've got guys out there that are doing these, you know, five, $10 million homes that every single one you walk into is exactly the same. And then what happens is, is they call guys like me to come in and in my, in my, um, you know, area here, I'm kind of a, they refer to me as like a problem solver. Nobody else can figure this out. Let's call Steven. Let's get him in here and, and kind of think outside the box. And so I walk in and I see the system. And the first thing I ask the integrator, not in front of the client, is I say, why did you use this product? That's not the right product for this. Well, that's what I always use. There's your problem. And so that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, you've got to and Richie has a very good point when he says that you have to support lines that support you and you have to know the lines, but kind of being that, that nerd, I'm that guy. I study a lot of lines and, and specifications and technical specifications and how things work and working with different products is my, that's kind of my forte. So I'm an exception to the rule there, but I will say that, Oftentimes, when I walk into a project and I'm called in to do, and, and Richie knows this, he does, he referred to himself one time, my favorite term was he's a forensic programmer for Crestron. He can pick apart any code anywhere that's his thing, and I kind of do the same thing with my clients, and I tell them, you know, I go to the integrators that call me, I say, why did you use this product? And I'm telling you, 99 times out of 100, the answer is that's what I always use. And so that's what I'm referring to. And, and yeah, if you're doing a $5,000 project, man, get in there, drop a remote. Uh, Puma, Todd Anthony Puma posted an article, and I, I replied to it today. He goes into a project. He needs a single-room solution. He's got something worked out already. He drops that same thing in on every project. Boom, he's done. No problem with that. But when you're talking about doing projects that are, you know, I'd say you're starting around $30,000. Now you're taking the cookie cutter out of it. You know, now you need to fit the, the system to the client. And, um, you know, Rich has some really, really, really awesome points, like he always does. But my my comments are more geared towards the the people like like us that are doing higher-end systems. I mean, we all know that you, you've got people you work with in the industry, and every project they do looks exactly the same. 
no matter how big or how small it is. And that is, that's what I'm referring to. Great. All right. Let's uh, move on to uh, an interesting, I'll just, I'll just put it out there. Uh, it's a smart mower. <clears throat> let's just start the conversation like that. <laughs> so here's a young man who we will all see at CDA next month. His name is John Siaka. Uh, prolific writer, very good integrator. Uh, he's writing at this time for Sound and Vision. Husqvarna has an auto, an auto mower robotic lawnmower. And this is the first line of the article. Quote, unquote, I'll be honest. When I first heard about Husqvarna's auto mower robotic lawnmower, my first thought well, was, well, that's stupid. <clears throat> A Roomba for your lawn. Um, Richie? First question, what do we think of this idea in general? You know, I mean, it's, it's uh, what is it? The, the next one will be Skynet enabled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know there, why not? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in uh, just outside of San Francisco and, you know, obviously land here is at a premium. So it's not like I have 30 acres or something that I've got to mow. Um, but you know, I've got family members who are in the Midwest and in Florida and they've got, yeah, every, you know, every Saturday, every Friday, whatever it is, they go out, I see them jump on their little John Deere and away they go and, and calling it a day. Um, why not? Yeah, I mean, technology is there. It's got G it's, you know, it basically does its own GPS map. You, you put it on Google maps. It takes a view of what's going on and, and it crisscrosses and it, it's kind of cool. Um, it, you know, I, I, I view it as one of those items where it's like, you know what, the technology is supposed to be about convenience. Technology is supposed to be about facilitation. We constantly talk about the, you know, when you walk in the door and you press I'm home and the lights turn on and the music turns on. What's more convenient than the damn thing mowing your lawn? <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's, again, that's, that's in, in all honesty, and, and I'm glad that John wrote about it, and, and I think that's what he was keying in on, is that's the true purpose of what we're looking for. For technology to do is to ease the process of kind of the the mundane things that we're not necessarily crazy about um and if there's a way that you can affix a price to it and there's a way you can do it relatively reliably i mean obviously this is an early gen product but that lawnmower quite honestly is really what cedia was built on it was a solution to a problem it was interesting us 25 years ago going oh you want to turn music on outside, but you don't want to go inside to do it? Yeah, I can do that. Oh, you know, you want to be able to turn the lights off from over here, or you want to be able to change the music without having to click a switch? And Yeah, I can make that. Want to be able to mow your lawn without having to sit out there for three hours? Yeah, we sure. can do that. That's where I view it as. And, and so, you know, again, I think that, I like it because it causes the integrators, it, it breaks up that thought about who they are. And I, and I think it challenges, um, I hopefully won't, I can't even use the term integrators now, I don't even know what the hell we're calling ourselves. Um, but, Eskies. <laughs> we're the SPs again. We're going to go, or Eskies. What were Eskies. we, Eskies? Eskies. 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 The Esky Awards. Yes. Um, you know, I... I I don't like using the term, you know, disruptive technology because this really isn't disruptive. Um, but I like that it, it it made me pause and give thought and kind of go, yeah, man, that was, that was kind of cool. Twenty five years ago, we were trying to figure stuff out and say, 
there's got to be a cool solution to do to, to solve simple problems people are asking us for. Like, yeah, you know, I don't have a big enough yard for one, but I can appreciate it. <laughs> well, I I do, and and it, it, it John does go on to say that he he thought it was a it was a cool idea. I'll, I'll put the link up. Um, but the, the, Stephen, that this is it's twelve hundred to thirty five hundred bucks, depending on on which version you get. Richie's yard is not big enough. Mine probably is. Um, you know, it depends though. But it, this is this is in the category of smart devices, right? Um, can we have too many smart devices? I mean, is this is this that that leading that that edge of of where we've got? Are we at the edge with this lawnmower? That that is the edge of our smart devices. Yeah, back to the reference that Richie made. I'm not too worried about it until John Connor comes back and shoots my lawnmower. Yeah. I mean, you know, just uh, just so so. Here's the my take on it, and I read this article, and a lot of people don't know Siaka has been following this trend for a while, and the biggest takeaway that I got from the article was. 20 years, 20 years they've been doing this. Wow. It's not like this is a Gen 1 product. This is like the Gen 8 product for them. So, you know, a lot of people are going to read this and go, wow, new technology. Not so much. Uh, the Some of the features are new, but I, I was really taken aback and, and really dug into it. And John's an incredible writer. He has a way of finding these little niche things in the industry that, that I enjoy reading about. And uh, I thought it was, I think Richie nailed it. I think that it really stretches out there and goes, hey, this is our job. This is what we do. And this fits perfect into integration. Um, a lot of people, you know, one of the hardest questions to answer, and it goes back to what you guys were saying about what do we call ourselves. You know, Julie Jacobson is constantly asking, what, what is our definition? How do we define ourselves to other people? And the way I do it, and the most common thing that I teach the guys in my men- that I mentor is tell people that you take all the technology that they say works against them and you make it work for them. And that's what this does. It takes all this frustrating technology and it goes, you know what? Now I get to watch football while my lawn is, while my lawn is mowed by a robot. And... I love it. Are you kidding me? I mean, you're sitting in your house. I'm watching my gators stomp somebody, and I know that my lawn's being taken care of. Uh, the flip side is, is anybody that's ever cut their lawn, they know good and well that lawns are not that predictable. No. Um, you know, you can get a, a limb in your yard. Uh, your kids can leave a frisbee in the yard, and I'm sure that they've worked out, you know, some of the details, but. I would be interested to see how this thing handles my yard. I have four kids, uh, four kids, two dogs, and I would be interested to see what kind of condition my, this thing would leave my yard in. Now, we, we keep it pretty straight, but uh, what does it do if there's a bicycle in the yard? You know, there's, there's questions I have, um, but I thought that this was so neat because now we can go to our clients and have an intelligent conversation and say, hey, you know what? Now, the truth is most of our clients have lawn services. I mean, that's just the truth of it. I don't have, I would say, easily less than 20% of my clientele mows their own lawn. Yeah. But if they have a small lawn and uh, they want to give this a shot, or even a medium-sized lawn, and they want to give this a shot, I can go to them and say, hey, check out this technology. What it does, reading and knowing this kind of stuff 
it doesn't necessarily give us something else to sell, but what it does is it keeps you as the expert. You should always be the technology expert in any conversation, not a know-it-all, because God knows I don't know it all, but be the expert. If I have not only having the answers, but knowing where to get them, if I have a crush on situation I'm in and I'm really over my head, I'm calling Richie. You know, if, if I have other issues, uh, Matt Scott and I trade information all the time. He'll call me, I'll call him and say, hey, I'm stuck on this. But when your client is sitting there and they're talking to you about technology and they ask you a question and your first response is, I've never heard of that. Now you're not the expert anymore. So knowing this kind of stuff, it's not something else to sell, but it definitely increases, for lack of a better way to put it, your street cred with your clients. When you can say, oh, yeah, by the way, have you heard about, you know, here's a guy driving a Tesla with a Maserati sitting in the garage that he drives on the weekends for fun. And you tell him, oh, by the way, did you hear that there's a $3,500 Husqvarna that'll mow your lawn while you sit inside and, and watch football? Those kind of guys, are they love those conversations. Yeah. They love them. And so I think that that's where this fits in. I think it's an awesome idea. Um, I'd love to try one. Um, I'm going to talk to John about how it works this year at Cedia uh, because I'd love to see, hey, have you left you know, have you left a doll or have you left a, a, you know, a dog surprise in your yard? How does it handle the dog surprise? But uh, I think that this is, this is a really cool product for us to talk about with our clients, much like smart watches, mm, uh, yeah. things like that. This is another product where we can go to our client and say, hey, you know, Mr. Farr, guess what? There's this new toy out here. Check it out. You're really going to like it. And the next time he calls you, he goes, Man, I looked into that lawnmower. That's great. So now you are the tech guy, and, and I use this story a lot. I've had clients call me, two of them, two different clients call me before they bought alarm clocks. I mean, our clients are call us. I have clients all the time that call me before they buy a new cell phone. You know why? It's not because I'm a cell phone expert, and it's not because I know anything about alarm clocks. I use my cell phone as an alarm clock. Yeah. But it's because we are the technology experts, and when it comes to toys and it comes to things with wires and batteries, your client should always think of you first. Oh, very good. And, and I'll, I'll still uh, – another one of Uncle Richie's sayings, and, and he's called himself the digital concierge before. So, And he yeah. can do so again now, so that's good. That's good. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. Uh, Uncle Rich, thank you so much, sir. Rich Fragosa from Fragosa Design. Happy to pitch in. And uh, let's see, I will be seeing you in about 30 days or oh, so. Days, you can yeah. also find me on the Twitter, at rfragosa. You can also find us at Fragosa Design. Uh, coming up in the next 30 days, uh, you'll be seeing uh, my name in print coming up for cepro.com and also as one of the CD tweets again this year. So uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll, post the, uh, I'll post my code because I always forget what my code is. But uh, you can register for free with good old Uncle Richie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Send me your code so I can put it on, on the page's website. So. Sounds uh, good. All right, Stephen. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. I got to get me one of those fancy screen labels made. You do. Like Uncle Richie has. Um, uh, I'm, I'm waiting for Stephen to just like get a piece of paper with marker and just hold it the entire time under his. <laughs> I, I have been known to use my props. So. Um, no, um, you can find me on uh, ProAudio underscore GA on Twitter, uh, ProAudio Georgia, over here living the life in the beautiful state of Georgia. 
um, look me up. I'm easy to find and uh, hard to forget. That is that is for certain. That is true. For, for, I will never forget the first time I, meet, I met Stephen. I'll just put it that way. All right. Um, don't follow <laughs> me, but go by the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, we have a commercial version of this program called AV Week. Uh, we also have State of Control, which, which we have uh, Rich on uh, most of the time. Uh, an education show, and all sorts of other ones. Uh, also, uh, we we talked about Cedia a, a little bit today. Um, we're going to be there. Uh, we're going to have our, our tweet up, which is our, our networking event. Um, it's going to be Thursday of the show, which is uh, Thursday, uh, September 15th, from 4 to 6 uh, in the Beer Garden. Uh, if you went to Cedia last year, uh, it was way back in the back, and I've been told by the people from Cedia that there will be a, a mechanical bull in that area. Just going to Put that out there we, right now. We will have beer before you arrive this time. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to promise anything. It wasn't. It, we had nothing to do with the fact that the beer was late last time. So, so, so let me get this right. They're going to provide beer and a mechanical bull. No, we're going to provide the beer. They are providing the mechanical bull. Oh, this is going to be awesome. And I don't know who's providing the insurance. So, leave that there. <laughs> um, Otherwise known as the AV Nation Sea of Bad Decisions. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, but uh, but Thursday, uh, uh, September 15th, 4 to 6, uh, it's brought to you by our, our wonderful underwriters. Uh, at CD this year, we have two, uh, Access Networks and Middle Atlantic. Uh, if you want to see our full list of underwriters, you can go by the website, avnation.tv. So, yeah, come by CD this year. Uh, come by and say hey and, and, and grab a... Grab an AV Tweep sticker and and, and uh, some free food and drink uh, on on us. So uh, that's uh, that that'll be, do it for today. Uh, that's uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been Resi Week. Oh, yeah.